0: Thank you for tuning in to the WAM podcast, where women empower women in business and manufacturing. Hi, everyone. This is
1: Rosemary Coates in Silicon Valley. I'm your host for this edition of Women in Manufacturing. I'm the executive director of the Reshoring Institute, where we help companies bring back or expand their manufacturing in the U.S., I also run a global supply chain consulting firm called Blue Silk Consulting, where we help clients with global supply chain projects and where I also do expert witness work. On these podcasts, we interview accomplished women in business and ask them to share their experiences that we can learn from. Today, I'm thrilled to welcome our guest, Diana Huff, the founder and president of Huff Marketing, Huff Huff Industrial. Industrial. (laughs) Yeah, Huff Industrial Marketing. She's also the author and publisher of the blog, Keep It Made in the USA. Woo-hoo, we're excited <laughs> about that. So welcome, Diana.
0: Thank you. Thank you.
1: Can you tell us a little bit about your background and how you came to support goods made in America?
0: Yep. So I actually started off in manufacturing when I was in college. I made sales for sailboats because I knew how to sew due to home economics, which I heard now is no longer offered. So (laughs) I knew how to sew. So I made sales for sailboats. I did that for five years. And then from there, I went to a company called Precision Technical Sewing, which was in your neck of the woods in Palo Alto, California. And it was a woman owned manufacturing company and she was a sailor. So that's how the connection was made. And we made custom cloth products for military and aerospace and a lot of other companies industrial companies so i worked there for seven years and i was then in the front office so i did everything from shipping receiving bookkeeping this was before internet four phone lines telephone the yellow pages advertising and quoted custom jobs made the mill spec manual you know so (laughs) you, you know how it is when you work at a small company you get to do everything So and then in 1998, I went out on my own, and I was DH Communications Inc. And I did that because my son was born. And by then I had moved to the East Coast. And so until from 1998 to 2013, I was doing copywriting, marketing writing for B2B companies. And also, you know, I was working with manufacturers. And by 2013, I was completely burned out. My son had gotten his driver's license and flew the coop. And so it gave me some time to really, you know, assess where am I, what do I want to do. And so I closed down DH Communications and started Huff Industrial Marketing in 2014 to work exclusively with smaller, I say smaller, 20 to 50 employee manufacturers. So right after that transition, I was doing a lot of reading to get up to speed on manufacturing, what was going on. And one of the things that I came across was this video, the million jobs project. And the guy narrating it said, you know, if everybody just bought one product made in the USA, if everybody did this, we would create a million jobs. And it wasn't just the manufacturing jobs, it was all the jobs associated. Because I remember the little visual, it was a magnet. And it showed that when the manufacturer left, all the jobs in that community left too. And so the magnet's showing all the people getting sucked out, you know, dry cleaners, daycare centers, gyms, you know, the manufacturing ripples out. So I said, well, I can do better than buy one product. I'm going to make a commitment. And I felt very strongly. I said, if I'm going to be working with manufacturers, I need to support manufacturing. So I said, I'm going to buy Made in USA whenever possible, not knowing (laughs) what I was getting into. And that's how it started. I started in 2015 and I started just reading the labels, was shocked and appalled, like, oh my God, (laughs) nothing's made here. (laughs) Right, that's right. But it's gotten so much better since then. And so yeah,
1: there's a, there's some statistics that show that up to 80 percent of the products sold in some of the big retailers like Walmart and Target came from a foreign country in the late 90s. Yeah. Yeah. It
0: was pretty amazing. Yeah, yeah. it was. Yeah. And whole yeah. industries. Yeah. We had whole industries leave our country. So anyway, so fast forward up until last fall, I gave a presentation at my local library on how to buy Made in USA. And I was so surprised that people were inspired by my story. And I had brought in all these products from my house for show and tell. And people were amazed that people just don't know how much stuff is actually made here. You just can't go to a store and buy it because often it's direct to consumer. I mean, of course you can go, to Bed Bath & Beyond and maybe find a towel, you know, (laughs) one small little set of towels or Walmart has, you know, you can buy Hanes socks or whatever. But like you said, you know, a lot of the stuff is not made here. And so people were really surprised. And that's what gave me the whole idea to start my new blog, Keep It Made USA. And so I feature companies that make stuff here. And then I do my own product reviews. So I'm not paid. I'm not an influencer, a paid influencer. So I buy something. If I like it, I write about it. So
1: (laughs) that's great. Very good. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. Uh, Yeah. I think, you know, there's this recognition that happened, I don't know, seven or eight years ago. Well, actually, I think the whole reshoring revolution started in 2012 with Barack Obama and Mitt Romney China bashing like crazy. While they were running for president, meanwhile, I'm working in China, helping all these companies offshore, thinking, "Oh man, I can't tell anybody what I do for a living yeah. <laughs> I think there was some recognition after that it was a that was kind of a turning point where consumers as well as industries and industrial buyers started thinking about sourcing in the u s a and it started to grow from there, and albeit the Growth was pretty slow. It was still steady, and there was still an awareness happening. When the pandemic hit, of course, then everything changed because it introduced so much risk into the supply chain and an obvious understanding that not being able to buy products here is a weakness in the U.S. and something we need to fix. But yeah, I'm so glad you started writing about it. And all of us can take steps to try to find products that are made in the U.S.A., so, what other services do you provide at industrial marketing? At, uh, your, at industrial marketing,
0: yeah. So, we work with smaller manufacturers, and we solve the big challenges. Uh, we do website design, so we do custom WordPress design. We do all the content. We do, con- you know, the typical stuff: content marketing, Google ads, anything that has to do with the website and online. We take care of it. So, we do online lead generation. We can do workforce attraction. So, for example, you know, I go to some of these pre-COVID, we'd go to these seminars for manufacturers. And, you know, the big thing is trying to find employees, skilled labor, skilled employees, and no one would talk about how to create a website with a career section and what's our culture. And, you know, the thing about manufacturing is full of innovation. And you go to these manufacturers, some it's getting much better, but you would go to these manufacturing websites, you know, you'd see a picture of their building, you know, <laughs> and right. no, no mention of what they're doing inside of it and or right. the people. And so, you know, the generation that's coming up, they grew up on their phones and their computers and social media, and they want to see all that stuff. So the manufacturers who get it, you know, they get it and they embrace it. So workforce attraction, meaning you know, help communicate your message of why people would want to work for you.
1: Yeah, I think that's, you hit a sore point for sure. And it's not just small and medium manufacturers, it's a large manufacturers just cannot find enough workers. Right. You know, it's sort of systemic, because as you were saying, as all those jobs went overseas, the magnet idea, you know, there was no backfilling of certain trades and requirements for manufacturing, like tool and die makers, mold makers, welders, you know, people that um, seamstresses.
0: That's why I mentioned at the beginning, you know, I sewed, I sewed on an industrial sewing machine. That's a skill.
1: Yeah. Well, I I think there's misinformation on what kind of jobs are out there as well. So, you know, we don't want all the jobs back, all the 23 cent an hour t-shirt production back. What we want are skillful jobs and jobs that require higher level skill and training and so forth because they pay better. And that's the way we rebuild the middle class in America, not through all the low cost, you know, minimum wage or less sort of jobs that just create a welfare state. I mean, you know, if you can't pay a living wage, you have to supplement that with welfare. So we want what we want to track back are skillful jobs and the job environment has changed pretty significantly. I know you were talking about back in the day, you know, (laughs) and me too, and the manufacturing environment, you, in the past, you'd walk around and there were machines and, you know, paperwork orders and so forth. Now that's all computerized. So, you know, everybody on the manufacturing floor is using a computer to look at the next steps or to move inventory along or to recognize errors or, you know, all that kind of thing. That's a different skill that to well, and, you
0: know, I'm standing here at a standing desk made by iMover, and they're able to compete and actually offer a standing desk that's less in cost than the one by Herman Miller, which is also made in the USA, because they use automation. Yes, right. You right. know, and even all the electronics and the legs and everything are made here, but that requires, you know, skilled employees.
1: Yeah. So along those lines, what are you seeing since you write about U.S. manufacturers and, you know, what kind of trends are you seeing out there? What kind of examples can you give us?
0: Well, so all the manufacturers that I work with and then the ones that I talk to, the ones I interview for the blog or calling, you know, for prospecting, everybody is swamped. I'm, you know, it's so good to hear people say, you know, we're just super, super busy. And, you know, so and I see One of my customers, you know, they were getting calls from companies uh, looking for parts. Either they were made offshore or they were made in Europe. And the shipping times, you know, and the shipping rates are exorbitant. And so they can't wait 12, 16, 18 weeks or even longer to get stuff here. So a lot of companies that make parts, whether it's, you know, Metal, urethane, rubber, whatever, they're getting lots of calls to have stuff made here because their supply chains have just, you know, evaporated. And then the other thing I'm seeing, speaking of supply chains, so while everybody is very busy and thriving, it's also very rough. You know, the cost of things has gone up and trying the lead times on everything, even if they are made in the U.S., they've been extended. So that's been hard on a lot of manufacturers. So it's a good time, but it's also, it's tough.
1: Yeah, for sure. Yes, we did a major study last spring with 50 companies in New York. And we asked them about how they fared through the pandemic. And almost all of them said, you know, they some of them had a disaster recovery plans and so forth. And almost all of them said nothing worked. They weren't prepared for anything regarding the pandemic and had to make all these new decisions and determinations on the fly, um, trying to reinvent the business every day because there were so many unknowns and crazy stuff going on. And yeah, I mean, one of the things that was pointed out over and over again is most of these companies are trying to find more domestic suppliers. Yes. So all the little companies out there that are making things or used to make things that are going to start up again or expand their operations, all those companies in America are going to feed into that supply chain for the companies that are making finished products. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Yep. Do you have any examples of manufacturers that have been successful? And I know you write about these companies all the time.
0: so (laughs) I do. So one of my favorite stories, I interviewed him about a month or so ago, uh, Tom Tanner, who is the CEO and founder of Presenter Tech. So robotic teleprompter stands. So before he came along, teleprompter stands were not made in the U.S., and they had to be manually adjusted. And so during the last presidential election, even the candidates were having problems. So Donald Trump famously took one apart, you know, at one of his rallies, a, a teleprompter, because it was malfunctioning. Hillary Clinton was having issues with her teleprompter stand. So Tom Canner has a brother who was doing a gig for Lucasfilm and he was audiovisual. I forget exactly what he was doing, but he had to, he needed a teleprompter stand that didn't have to be manually adjusted because if you film someone who's tall and then follow with someone who's short, you have to adjust that stand. Takes time. Tom's brother called him, help me, help me. I have this huge gig coming up. Can you create something? So Tom was in medical devices and on his lunch hour, at night and on weekends. Within a week, he created this robotic teleprompter stand. And he said that at 3 a.m., he sprayed it with black Krylon and then his brother picked it up at 8 a.m., took it to the Lucasfilm site and at 11 o'clock did his thing and called them and said, it works, it works, they loved it. And so his brother took it to the Democrat National Convention to let Hillary Clinton use it. Because again, she was having issues with hers. And two days later, Tom Tanner got a call from the White House Communications Agency. They wanted to order a hundred units. Wow, wow. He quit his job and started Presenter Tech. I mean, what a fantastic story, right? But the thing that I really like about the story is he's very serious about making these in the US. He sources, again, just what you said a few minutes ago, he's sourcing all his components, He and his partner source all the components in the U.S. as much as they can. Of course, electronics are hard, but he's very serious about it and, you know, very serious about growing manufacturing and creating jobs. So that's one story. And so his company has grown considerably. He's the official supplier to Tim Cook of Apple. And you. You know, so it's, I thought, wow, what a great story, huh? You know? oh, yeah, and
1: then, sure. Tim Cook is a supply chain guy too. I don't know if you knew that. Oh, but no. He came, up, he came up through the ranks of supply chain at Apple. Oh, years okay. years ago, we did a project for him. He was in charge of forecasting and planning he was just a babe he hired us to do a forecasting project and help him select some forecasting software yeah so he came up through the ranks of supply chain and which is okay interesting because apple is so you know it's all about the brand and the presentation and so forth but behind all of that apple is truly a supply chain company you know they are a designer and a supply chain company they manage their entire supply chain they don't manufacture anything it's all outsourced, right. but supply chain is critical to that company. So it's interesting. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. And so and did you want a second one? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah so, yeah. so my other favorite one is Authenticity 50. Have you heard of them? No. They're another one of those. What an amazing story. So they were staying at a BNB and they slept on these fabulous sheets and asked the proprietor, you know, where did you get these sheets? They're amazing. And she said, Alas, you know, I bought them years ago. They were made in the US. You can't find them anymore. So Stephanie, I think her husband's name is Jim. Stephanie and Jim McDonald. I think that's their names. Authenticity50. So they did a Kickstarter camp, they did all this research learned about bedding and how it's made and did a Kickstarter campaign and created, they now make sheets in the U S and bedding and their tagline is seed to stitch. So everything, the, again, like presenter tech, the entire process is U S based. They grow the cotton. It's grown in California. It's carded. It's woven. They drive all over the United States looking for mills that, you know, need the work And then they, you know, they make the wide sheeting and then it's cut, sewn, even the boxes they use for shipping made in the U.S. They make these really nice blankets called heritage blankets that are woven in Maine by one of the last family-owned woven weaving mills in Maine. Amazing story. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, from our perspective, too, we see manufacturing coming back, although I think it's evolved. Today's executives aren't just laser focused on the cost like they were in the early 90s over and over again i had clients tell me you know get and find me a low cost location right that was the thing today i think they got a lot smarter especially after the pandemic and understand there's more to that decision than just cost looking at you know where your markets are how you can leverage those new markets you know, where is the growth, where is your supply chain, you know, thinking about all those kind of things that go into the decision to ultimately find a location that's appropriate or multiple locations. So a lot of our clients will pick an Asian location, for example, to serve the Asian market and another, you know, maybe a near shore location in Mexico, and then maybe a third location in the US. So it's a different, it's not simply We shipped everything to China, now we're going to bring everything back. That's not the way it is. It's much more thoughtful and many more variables go into that decision-making. So I'm just thrilled that you're writing about it. I think it's wonderful. And, you know, we need to keep up the momentum and the conversation going on reshoring because it's just so important to our economy.
0: Absolutely.
1: We're coming to the end here, Diana. Do you have any final thoughts?
0: Yeah, I would say, you know, when you are ready to buy something, research it. See if you can find a U.S. made version. Many times you can, although I admit, you know, I always say I'm not a saint. I'm talking to you on my MacBook. Um, <laughs> it is hard to find some things made here, but the reason why I do this is because it's supporting manufacturing, but it's also supporting jobs and manufacturing jobs and the jobs that manufacturing supports. And you know, these jobs are really important. And you know, and I, so I say, you know. Jobs make strong families, strong families make strong communities. And if we're all strong, you know, life is very, very good. And so when you're buying something made in the U.S., you're supporting your community, you know, or someone else's community. But, you know, it's a really good thing. So I would encourage you. I always tell people, people ask me all the time, how do I get started? And I say, just start reading the labels. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Diana. It was really interesting. Can you give us your contact information and where we can find your blog?
0: Yep. So, huffindustrialmarketing.com. That's f like Frank. Huffindustrialmarketing.com. My blog is right there in the top nav, Keep It Made USA. And then I am very active on LinkedIn.
1: Terrific. Well, thank you again. Yeah. Andrew. And you can listen to more podcasts on the Women in Manufacturing website, www.womenandmfg.com. And you can reach me, Rosemary Coates, at rcoates at reshoringinstitute.org. And visit our website, www.reshoringinstitute.org, where we publish all of our research on manufacturing in America. Have a great day.
0: Thank you for joining the Wham Podcast, where women empower other women in business and manufacturing. For more shows like this, go to whampodcast.com. That's whampodcast.com. Thanks for tuning in. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.